our scripture this morning is in Matthew. I'm going to begin with um, verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to crucify him. Verse 38. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults. <clears throat> from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, pardon my Hebrew. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up the spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. God bless the reading of and the hearing of this word. How's everybody today? I brought two friends with me today. So I have two friends, and I need you to be a judge today. Okay? If you all pretend you're Judge Judy or whoever the most current, you want to help me? You want to help me? You can come help me. Can you hold the doll for me? Okay, you can hold that one right there. Oh, you want them both? 
stay right here with them, though. Hey, I need them up here. Come up here. Okay. So we're going to pretend. Can I hold this one for a minute? We're going to pretend that this girl, this doll, um, did something really, really, really bad. She beat up somebody. Yeah, she beat her up. So, what do you think we should do? You tell me. I don't know. She's been here a while. Pam might know how old she is. <laughs> What was the other kid doing? Okay. That's what the other kid was doing. Talking. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you're helping me. That's um, so, let's just say the other kid was just standing there. And this one went up to him and... Yeah. Okay, maybe they were talking a lot. And this one just went... Pumped into it. Well, punched it on purpose. So what should we do? I think that we should punish that one. You don't like that? This one was the one that did the hitting. That one was just an innocent bystander. So we're going to punish that one. We're going to give it time out and take away its desserts for the week. And, um, something really bad, somebody else got beat for it. It's called the whipping board. Yeah. So this person may be the guilty one, but this one can work out. And that means you're kind of like, I think, kind of like Jesus. Jesus is innocent. We are sinners. We've done everything from saying bad things. So that we would not have to punish. That's a pretty incredible whipping boy, I think. Did Jesus have to be the whipping boy? He didn't have to do it. Yes, God sent him. It was his mission. Could he have said no? Yeah, he could have. The whipping boys for King Edward. Those were little peasant kids that were brought in. They were treated pretty well. They got to eat and learn and things like that. But whenever the prince or king did something bad, right on them. Because it was illegal to get royalty. Jesus was going to 
your servants are listening. Am I right or am I right? Just <laughs> that is the question for today. Um, how many of us here like to be right? <laughs> how important is it to you? You don't have to answer this out loud. You can. Um, but definitely think about it. How important is it for you to be right, but even more to make sure that other people are doing, believing, expressing the right things? If the, is, is that important? Do you feel like it's important? Why? Truth, okay? So... to make sure that your kids know what's right and wrong and you want them to walk on a good path. Okay, so if you're a person of faith, you want other people, whether they're your kids or not, to walk on a good path. Um, I have been told that I tend to correct people. Um, in recent years, I have sort of, usually that's told me in a somewhat teasing, affectionate way, although there's usually a kernel of truth in those jokes, right? And so I will sometimes come at that and say, I'm not telling you you're wrong, I'm just trying to help you be as bright as I am. Um, no. <laughs> Um, I recently heard a quote, and I wish I could remember who it was, or even exactly what the quote was, but it was something like, I don't think I'm always right, but it's hard to operate under another assumption. Right? It's, it's hard to function if you think you're wrong. So we just all think we're right. And we want people to, to be as right as we are. And we have see it in our interactions with family members, with people who have different opinions about different things. You definitely see it on the internet. Everybody is a preacher on the internet about everything, whether they really know about it or not. We, we all are. I mean, in this room, we're all preachers on the internet. I've seen it. <laughs> Me and 
many others of us. And we see how it plays out in our culture. I think part of why it's so important for people to be right and get everybody else on the same page is there's actually some fear. Yes, we want people to walk on a right path. But we become very, very invested. I don't think it's just we wish other people well. I think there's something in us that feels really insecure when other people disagree with us or when other people are making different life choices. And we see it in cancel culture. Cancel culture gets attributed to different pockets of society, but I think all pockets are guilty of doing this. We don't want people in our space. We don't want to listen to somebody that disagrees with us on what we see to be a major issue. It's unsettling. We have to wrestle with things that we maybe aren't ready to wrestle with or we don't know how to wrestle with and we can't. It's hard to be in the same space as someone and let them be as wrong as we are. However, we see that this doesn't work. If No matter what you, so here's an example, no matter what you think about the COVID vaccine, have you ever had a conversation with a person who has a different view from you on the COVID vaccine and be able to, been able to convince them to your view? Even people who say it is a personal choice, live and let live, do what you feel to be the right thing to do, even that is a position that those people cannot convince other people. If if you say that to somebody who has another view, they're going to try to convince you. Why? Yes, it is a big deal. Either it's evil or this is the only way to go. You can't, you, you can try to make people right, as right as you are, but it doesn't work. Okay, so my question, a follow-on question is, is it possible that our need to be right, even to be right about our faith, is more of an empire impulse than a kingdom? about it. What is behind the fights in our churches? There's a little, one of those jokey, they worded it funny in a church bulletin things going around the internet this weekend. Remembrance Sunday. We will remember those killed and injured in conflicts during our morning service. (laughs) During our morning service? Actually, that kind of happens sometimes. There are conflicts that injure people in church services. What is behind that? That's not the kingdom. What's behind the wars that our veterans have been part of fighting in in whatever way? This isn't a disrespect to the veterans, but what is behind the war that sent them out? Empire. Well, sometimes it is, but that's... I'm not saying that there shouldn't be ways there shouldn't be ways of stopping evil. But I'm saying why are there wars? Because people are there's evil or because somebody thinks 
they are right, and they're going to enforce it. And everybody needs to be part of my country, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. And what's behind the persecution of our brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world? Empire. So here's a question I don't want us to answer out loud, but I want you to kind of keep this in the back of your mind. Is there a difference between rightness and righteousness? This is going to be a little bit of a wissy wig sermon. What you see is what you get, or maybe wiki wig. <laughs> what you hear is what you get. Bernice said they had a really great Bible study, and I was kind of tempted to have them come up here and talk about this passage because this is one of the weeks that I've had a really hard time formulating my thoughts. I don't know how this is going to go. Um, over the last two to three weeks, though, I've had sort of two recurring themes. You know how I've mentioned that this entire time we've been talking about the Gospel of Matthew, things in life have kind of been paralleling the parts of the Gospel that we're in. And so every time this happens, or I'm noticing it, I, I have to ask God, okay, is this for me, or is this what I need to bring to the congregation? Um, and I was definitely asking that this week. And I feel like this is for all of us, but I still haven't figured out how to talk about it. So the, the different themes have been, there have been a bazillion conversations within the last probably 10 days that have been about being silent when you're right. And this has been in every single part of my engagements. Um, there were some questions that Tim and Sandy and I were discussing last week about membership in this church and what do you do with, you know, people maybe not doing things that we think are godly and how, how do you handle that? And then some things in our extended family and some stuff came up. I was doing, I was giving spiritual direction sessions to some people and, then, and it came up there and one of my directees said, I'm learning to trust that the work the Holy Spirit is doing in me is the work the Holy Spirit is doing in the other person. I'm not the Holy Spirit. And that kind of feels like this thing that's been carrying on. It came up. I also met with my spiritual director this week, and it came up there. It's just been over and over and over again. At the same time, there has been, and I mentioned this in my prayer, there has been some discernible, I would call demonic activity going on in various pockets of ministry that, that I'm connected with. Um, Paul and I have actually each had dreams about demons where we're um, fighting against demons on people's behalf in Jesus' name. Some other people that I'm connected with who have either been, who have either made commitments to Jesus or who are have renewed their commitments to Jesus have been experiencing some spiritual attack this is a this is a real thing and it's interesting to me that both of these things are happening I think we're looking at the crucifixion because was Jesus right yeah did Jesus feel any need or demonstrate any need to for his rightness. The more the powers of hell stirred up 
the more they came at him, all the way up to death. Well, let's watch what he did. I'm going to read some of the snippets from the passages today. I don't want us to really dialogue about this. I'm going to read a section, and I'll pause for a few seconds. And I just want you to, a couple weeks ago, I asked you to, to imagine yourself as Jesus and what Jesus was feeling like. I'm not saying that this time. I'm inviting you to imagine how you might respond in the situation if it were you. Notice what Jesus does, and notice what you feel like probably in your gut. Realistically, where you're at right now, how you would respond. Don't say it, just let the text speak for itself, but just notice. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. But Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the government. accusations, Jesus gave no correction. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You, who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Trust in God, let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. perspective. He has more perspective, more accurate perspective than any of us. 
is right in what he said. He is right in what he did. Jesus is right in that he is correct and accurate about reality. But he is right because he is righteous. By righteous, we mean good, just, and compassionate. He is righteous in who he is. In John 13, uh, before the Last Supper, verses 3 to 4, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And then he washes the disciples' feet. Jesus was secure in who he was, which was God. Jesus is God, and this passage says, He knew the Father had put all things under his power. He's God, and all things were under his power, and because of that, he was secure enough in whose he was, the Father's. He had come from God and was returning to God. He knows who he is, he knows whose he is, and so he is secure enough to submit to serving the people who would fail him and dying at the hands of the people who hated him. On the cross, he finally and fully withstood the temptation that had been dogging him throughout his ministry and that has undermined human beings since the beginning that has made us insecure, desperately trying to prove ourselves right. You shall be like God. Jesus was already God, and he didn't forget it. We are supposed to be like God. We are supposed to be God's representatives. We listen to the serpent, we still listen to the serpent, saying, you want to be like God? That puts us really insecure because suddenly our identity is dependent on ourselves and dependent on how right we are. And we need other people to agree that we're right because that's where our identity comes from. Jesus remembered who he was and whose he was. He was secure in who he was. He was secure in whose he was even when it felt like the Father had abandoned him. It's interesting. I didn't notice this until Bernice was reading this passage. The mockers at the cross, while Jesus is hanging there suffering, say, he's the king of Israel. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. They were saying the truth about Jesus, mocking it, trying one last try to make Jesus doubt it. Even when it felt like the Father had abandoned him, he did not stop trusting the Father to vindicate him because he knew who he was and he knew whose he was. Because he was secure, he did not have to argue or protest or cancel people to prove that he was right. In much earlier in this gospel, in chapter 12, Matthew quotes Isaiah 42, which says, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and my delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. 
no one will hear his voice in the streets or ranting on the internet until he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Jesus is the beloved. When he got baptized, the father said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, God said it again, this is my beloved son. Because he did not quarrel or cry aloud in the streets and let all the wrong people play out to the very end to die on the cross, we can also become beloved. The temple, the curtain in the temple that separated us from the presence of God was torn in half. There's access now to God. There's access to being human the way God intended us to be. The Isaiah passage that Matthew quoted about Jesus was originally intended to apply to Israel. Except for actually being God, which we cannot be, everything that is true about Jesus is meant to be true about his people. Not just by imputation, there's a theological understanding that our sin was imputed to Jesus Christ on the cross. Our sin was put on him. He didn't sin, we did, but our sin was put on him and his righteousness, his rightness, his goodness, his mercy, his justice was put on to us. And that is true, but that's not the only thing that happened on the cross. Everything that is true about Jesus is meant to be true about his people, not just that way, but by transformation. The curtain in the temple was torn in two so we can become like Jesus. We're not just wearing a Jesus coat. We actually become like him. And the more confidence we have in our identity as the beloved of God through Christ Jesus, the more humble the more pure in heart and mournful over sin and meek and peacemaking and, and maybe persecuted for righteousness sake, we will be just as Jesus himself was. Think about it like this. Here are my servants whom I have chosen, the ones I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on them and they will proclaim justice to the nations not by quarreling or crying out, no one will hear their voices in the streets, till with Jesus they have brought justice through to victory. Transformation came in the rending of the curtain. Transformation comes when we are secure in who we are because of whose we are. When our identity is no longer in how right we are, but how righteous Jesus is. This doesn't mean that we can't sin anymore. This doesn't mean we go around saying, oh, I'm, I'm justified in Christ, and so now I can do anything I want. It's the opposite of that. When our identity is secure in Jesus' righteousness, we don't have to fight to be understood. We don't have to fight to be right. We just have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to be transformed, which is why Jesus died and rose anyway. A few weeks ago, I mentioned a friend who 
was realizing that maybe she was kind of losing Jesus. And she has since rededicated her life to Jesus. That was kind of quick. And <laughs> kind of awesome. But she's one of the people that has been de- uh, contending with um, some demonic attack this weekend, actually, and a couple weekends ago. And so she texted me recently, and she said, following Jesus is actually scary. Demons are scary. And I texted back, and I hope this was from Jesus. Anyway, he spoke to her through it, whether the words were the best or not. I said, it's true. And demons are in many ways destructive. But also, they are ultimately powerless and mostly bullies. They cannot go beyond what God allows, and you are God's. I think as you get to know God better, you'll find that even though life might not get easier, God is more trustworthy than you realized, and you don't actually have much to fear. Demonic forces operate on fear. The Bible tells us that perfect love casts out fear, and you've just thrown yourself on the mercy of the Word, who is perfect love. Jesus initiated a new type of warfare and a new type of resistance. All the forces of evil and empire raised themselves up against the beloved of God, challenging him, taunting him to fight back, to prove he was right. He proved it. But not with their destructive, fear-inducing, bullying, self-defensive tactics. Proved it by being secure enough in who he was because of whose he was that he could let evil play itself all the way out until the world flipped back right side up. Death was defeated and people were open to being reconciled to God, brought back up to God's level as the beloved. There are a lot of questions and yeah buts <laughs> that I can imagine um, coming from this. I am aware of that. I have some myself. Um, I want to encourage you to sit with it, though, this week. And just keep in mind, we'll know what to do in certain situations if we are secure in who we are. And in whose we are. And we're not going to get crucified on a cross. But our security in Him is going to help us know what to do in each situation that we face. Lord, help us to remember that we are your beloved because of Jesus Christ. And there are places throughout Scripture, the choir sang one today, we still know that you are God. And when you brought the Israelites out of Egypt, and the Egyptians were chasing them, you reminded them, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Be still, the Lord will fight you. Lord, we want you to fight for us. We want to be secure in who we are 